think back to yesteryear, long ago when a young, sort of innocent Arya Stark only wanted to stay with her master assassin friend, Jack and Hagar, and stab the world together. Later, she would take that whole stabbing thing to a whole new level. A pivotal scene in the relationship, though, is when Jack and Arya parted ways, and Jack gave her a quote-unquote queen of great value that would lead her back to him. Remarkably, that actually worked, and Arya had a free ride to Bravos. However, how does that coin that Jack and tossed to her like a baby witcher actually work? How does a plain iron coin get a Stark of Winterfell an all-expenses-paid trip on a random ship to Bravos? To start, let's go back and see the exact scene where this all starts. Man has duties as well. Yeah. What is it? A coin of great value. Could it buy a horse? It is not meant for the buying of horses. Then what good is it? If the day comes when you must find me again, just give that coin to any man from Bravos and say these words to him. Vala Morgules. Vala Morgules. Jackin is dead. Say it again. Bala Morgulis. Bala Morgulis. Good. Arya is given a coin of great value, one not meant for buying horses according to the Faceless Man. Instead that coin when given to any man from Bravos with the secret phrase Valar Morgulis allows her to find Jacken again somehow. Later in A Feast for Crows we see the actual effect of using this coin and it's less about finding the Faceless Man she knows as Jacken and more about getting a ride with a private cabin aboard the Titan's daughter to the House of Black and White. While it is curious that Arya is able to use this coin to buy a passage to Bravos just with a code word, the more curious part is how the captain, Ternesio Terras, and his crew behave around Arya. For one thing, despite what Arya tells Captain Ternesio, he refuses to take her anywhere but Bravos. Her home was gone, her parents dead, and all her brothers slain but Jon Snow on the wall. That was where she wanted to go. She told the captain as much, but even the iron coin did not sway him. Arya never seemed to find the places she set out to reach. In addition, the crew of the Titan's Daughter acts very nervous and even a little afraid of Arya. Their nervousness sometimes manifested as ignoring her entirely, while others attempted to bribe or win her friendship with games and gifts. And more curious, none of them ever asked her name. If truth be told, Arya did not know what to wish for, any more than she knew what awaited her beneath the distant light. The captain had given her passage, but he had no time to speak with her. Some of the crew shunned her, but others gave her gifts. A silver fork, fingerless gloves, a floppy woolen hat patched with leather. One man showed her how to tie sailor's knots. Another poured her thimble cup of fire wine. The friendly ones would tap their chests, repeating their names over and over until Arya said them back. Though, none ever thought to ask her name. The captain and crew of the Titan's daughter spent weeks on the open sea with Arya Stark, and nobody asked her name, not even once. The closest they got was giving her the nickname Salty, from where Arya approached the captain in salt pans. In the past, it's been explained that perhaps these sailors are doing this because they know Arya is a trainee going to the House of Black and White to become a future Faceless Man. We're shown later on during a meeting of the assassins that they are not allowed to kill any targets they already know. I know this man. 
She did hear a priest with the face of a plague victim say, I know this man, the fat fellow echoed as she was pouring for him. But the handsome man said, I will give this man the gift. I know him not. Later, the squinter said the same thing of someone else. Hence, by trying to get to know Salty and have her know their names, they're hopefully saving themselves from being killed by her in the future. This is an incomplete explanation. Handing over the coin and saying the password Valar Morgulis doesn't communicate anything about Arya being a candidate for the House of Black and White. Valar Morgulis is a very common High Valyrian phrase in Bravosi culture, which means all men must die. It is said often in Arya's future chapters, serving as almost a catchphrase of the Master Assassins. As well, the saying of Valar Morgulis isn't the only password being said. The Bravosi captain says back Valar Dohiris, meaning all men must serve, Acknowledging that he understands and will take the bearer of the coin to Bravos. It's not that the Bravosi believe that Arya will become a faceless man in the future, they think she is right now. They think she is the man known as Jack and Hagar in another disguise and are nervous about having someone like him on board. To understand this, we have to remember that Jacken is not one person, but instead he has the ability to change his appearance seemingly at whim. After parting ways with Arya, Jacken changes his features in an instant, from the handsome Larathi man with red and white hair into a totally different man with curly black hair, hooked nose, a scar, and a golden tooth all in an instant. The faceless men tell Arya over and over again that she must become no one, lose her identity entirely to better serve the god of death. They are the ultimate masters of disguise and be perfectly anonymous in seconds just by changing their face to another. However, this presents a practical problem for this group of nobodies. It also means that they can be in a position that they need help in some way and can't prove their true identity because they don't have one. And that's where this iron coin comes in. The iron coin is not a boat passage or a token being exchanged for goods in some way. After all, Jacken tells Arya that any man of Bravos will help her if she presents the coin and says the words, not just the Titan's daughter in salt pans. The value is not in the service, but what it means. The iron coin is their identity, their totem, their ID card that says, yes, I am a faceless man, along with the password. The idea of a physical object ruining someone whose identity has been lost is something Gurm has written about before in his sci-fi short story titled The Glass Flower. In The Glass Flower, the last story in the Thousand Worlds universe, there exists an alien device that when conscious beings are hooked up to, they have the ability to swap their minds to a different body. This device is used to play the Game of Minds by the Mistress Sirene of Ash. Although appearing as a young woman, Sirene is over 200 years old and has swapped bodies multiple times in order to escape death. All throughout her many different bodies, she has kept one object even as her body and mind changed. Sirene kept a flower made of glass. I kept that flower with me near 200 years, long after I had left the boy who gave it to me and the world where he had done the giving. Through all the very chapters of my lives, the glass flower was always close at hand. The glass flower was terribly fragile, but no harm ever came to it. I cared for it well, better than perhaps I had cared for anything or anyone. It outlasted a dozen lovers, more than a dozen professions, and more worlds and friends than I can name. It was with me in my youth on Ash, and Arakan, and Shamdazar, and later on Rogue's Hope, and Lilith, and Gulliver. And when I finally left human space entirely, put all my lives and all the worlds of men behind me, and grew young again, the glass flower was still on my side. 
Even as Cyrene's identity erodes, her memories fade, and she starts becoming another person again, the glass flower anchors her in who she originally was. It's akin to having yourself removed and molded into a physical object that you can touch. And that is what the iron coins do for the faceless men. When you can be anyone and are actually no one, sometimes you just need an easy way to prove for one brief moment that you're actually no one. The reason this works so well with the people of Bravos is tied up in their relationship to old Valyria and the faceless men. The Bravosi were slaves in the old mines of Valyria, digging ever deeper beneath the 14 flames for their masters. Men may whisper of the faceless men of Bravos, but we are older than the secret city. Before the Titan rose, before the unmasking of Uthero, before the founding, we were. We are flowered in Bravos amongst the northern fogs, but we first took root in Valyria amongst the wretched slaves who toiled in the deep mines beneath the fourteen flames that lit the freehold's nights of old. Most mines are dank and chilly places, cut from cold dead stone. But the fourteen flames were living mountains, with veins of molten rock and hearts of fire. So the mines of old Valyria were always hot, and they grew hotter as the shafts were driven deeper, ever deeper. The slaves toiled in an oven. The rocks around them were too hot to touch. The air stank of brimstone and would sear their lungs as they breathed it. The soles of their feet would burn and blister even through the thickest sandals. Sometimes when they broke through a wall in search of gold, they would find steam instead or boiling water or molten rock. Certain shafts were cut so low that the slaves could not stand upright, but had to crawl or bend. And there were worms in that red darkness too. Yet still the mines drove deeper. Slaves perished by the score, but the masters did not care. Red gold and yellow gold and silver were reckoned to be more precious than the lives of slaves, for the slaves were cheap in the old freehold. During war, the Valyrians took them by the thousands. In times of peace, they bred them though only the worst were sent down to die in the red darkness. Didn't the slaves rise up and fight? Some did, he said. Revolts were more common in the mines, but few accomplished much. The dragon lords of old Valyria were strong in sorcery, and lesser men defied them at their peril. The first faceless man was one who did. The faceless men freed the ancestors of the Bravosi and helped their hide in their secret city, sheltered somehow from the glass candles of the Valyrian slave masters. And then, the kindly man hints, the faceless men caused the doom of Valyria, freeing the former slaves forever. Arya drew back from him. He killed the slave? That did not sound right. He should have killed the masters. He would bring the gift to them as well. But that is a tale for another day, one best shared with no one. Not only are the Faceless Men a key part of the foundation of Bravos, it's very likely they were behind the Doom of Valyria that allowed the Bravosi to breathe a sigh of relief that the Dragon Lords would never come for them. A debt of freedom and vengeance that can never be repaid. And so it appears that between the Faceless Men and the Bravosi, a mutual understanding formed that whenever a member of their order needed aid, any man of Bravos would assist them, which is why Jacken didn't specify any particular person. Their whole population is honor-bound to help when the coin is presented and the words are spoken. And because the faceless men can look like anyone, the Bravosi do what we saw with Arya. They assume that anyone with the coin is one of the faceless men no matter what. Arya claiming she wants to go to the north could be a part of the assassin's deep cover story. Her seeming confusion at how she's being treated is a clever bit of acting. Pretending to learn to tie knots, accepting gifts, learning names. Well, because that's how a normal person would act. 
the Faceless Men don't normally advertise their skills and magical abilities. This little girl could be the deadliest killer in all of Bravos, with the blood of kings and queens on their hands, just amusing themselves by humoring the crew. In a way, this is Arya's introduction to the world of the House of Black and White. As far as everyone around her is concerned, she's a totally different person and nothing will convince them otherwise. And it's not because of magic or elaborate disguises, but a small iron coin and playing on the expectations of others. A disguise is a reflection of the person you're trying to fool. And this was lesson one for Arya Stark and what it really means to be no one. Thank you very much for watching this video. If you liked it, Make sure to subscribe, comment, share, hit that little bell button so you get notifications of future videos, and slam that like button. Today's video is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering you all a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial. If you've not got into the books Game of Thrones is based on, this is a great chance to do it. Just go to audibletrial.com slash joemagician and browse the unmatched selection of audiobooks. Download a free title today on me like a Game of Thrones, and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com slash joemagician today. If you like this content and want to see more, consider supporting me at patreon.com slash joemagician, where you can get access to video and audio early, the artwork from these videos, your name right out at the end and put in the descriptions, and more. Speaking of which, let's list some of those fine people that have signed up. Thank you to my patrons, Sanrixian, Steven Stark, and Sue the Fury. And my Archmaster level patrons, Brendan Beefish, Aaron M, Casey D, Lady Shar, Leathery Wings, Maester Mary, Nessie the Questing Beast, Jeff and Emmett from Nauticast, and Zombie Jesus. Thank you all very much for watching.